So we're going to continue today in our series, Living Hope. We're moving into chapter 3 of 1 Peter. If you're going to open your Bibles, we'll be in 1 Peter chapter 3. And today we're going to see God's Word shape our marriages. Jesus is the living hope for our marriages. And you might be a single person here today. I hope you'll listen to this text because there is a high percentage chance that you will get married someday. Uh, I once heard Doug Fields joke that married people should listen to this text because there's a high uh, percentage chance you'll get divorced someday. And that is not what we are looking for. So it's true. Sometimes uh, marriage seems hopeless and we wonder how we're going to make it because marriage is hard. I want to tell you two of the moments from my life that I have wondered if marriage might be hopeless. So one of the strangest fights, they're just going to do it. One of the strangest fights uh, ever in my marriage occurred about six years ago because my oldest docker, uh, daughter was in soccer and ballet simultaneously. And the last soccer game of the season fell on the same, same day as the bunny rabbit ballet recital. I felt she owed it to her team to be there for the last soccer game of the season. Scarlett was convinced that she should prioritize the recital because she'd signed up for that first. And then we shouted at each other for an hour. <laughs> and we still bring it up. I don't, I mean, I don't know what was going on in our hearts that made that such a big deal. Y'all know it's always more than the thing that it is. I don't know. But we ended up deeply divided. I mean, we even brought the Lord into it. She was questioning my relationship with God. I may or may not have inferred that she was being an instrument of the evil one. <laughs> so yeah, we argued. We questioned each other's Christianity. We parted ways that afternoon furious with each other. I mean, I remember getting out of the car just, what? And it was one of those moments when marriage can seem hopeless. It's like, we've all had these moments where we, it, you think, I can't take back what I just said. Or how can something so small seem so dark? And I thought, I'm married to somebody perfect for me. And this is just bunny ballet. <laughs> how do people make it? Is marriage hopeless? The second moment I'll share with you is darker uh, involves my parents marriage uh, so today my dad and I are super close uh, I was at his house last night to watch Carolina beat Duke it was wonderful and uh, Jesus has made him into an incredible man and he has told me years ago I could talk about this as many times as I wanted to like you've seen him in the services I'm sure he'll be back know that he is a testament to the to the beauty of the gospel but I remember the night 25 years ago when the husband of the woman that my dad had had an affair with broke into our house or tried to break into our house. Uh, my dad had broken his vows. Uh, the husband of this woman broke the door to our home, was trying to get in. And I was 17 years old, about to turn 18, uh, devastated, um, laying in bed, listening to this struggle, shouting, fighting going on downstairs 
and uh, didn't know if this guy was going to kill my dad, like what's going on here. Um, it's one of the worst moments of my life because I was so like broken over it. I didn't even, I couldn't have told you in that moment who I wanted to win. So I was like, I, at 17, I was more jacked than I am now. I could have helped. Like I was really going for it in high school and I didn't move. I laid there, uh, and my dad got him out of the house and called the police. My mom was in the next room hearing this, like what in the world? Uh, was that moment like for her? And I don't know what your memories are. I don't know what your moments are. I'm just trying to help us remember that sometimes marriage seems hopeless. Like we all have stories because all marriages are broken people living broken lives together and, and hoping to find happiness and joy with one another. It's hard. Some of you remember the moment when your husband cheated on you. Some of you remember the moment when your wife said she was leaving. You remember hearing, I hate you. You remember hearing, I don't know, you're an instrument of Satan. Right? There are countless times we wonder, is this hopeless? But as we're learning in this series, Jesus always has hope for us. The very first week of the series, hope means the expectation of good. And that includes hope for marriages, Jesus wants a holy, joyful life for you and your spouse or your future spouse. And so he has help for us. He has a plan for hope-filled marriages in 1 Peter 3. So I'm going to read the first seven verses of, of this chapter so we can see how God's plan for marriages leads us to hope in him. Let's start reading in verse 1. In the same way... Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands. Here we go. So that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live when they observe your pure, reverent lives. Don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry or fine clothes, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God also adorned themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, you have become her children when you live with your wives. Uh, sorry, you have become her children when you do what is good and do not fear any intimidation. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, just making sure we still say it. So what I want us to do is draw together some threads from this passage to help us get a big, bigger picture perspective on how God brings hope to marriages. I want us to see just two truths about hope-filled marriage. And here's the first thing. In the Christian marriage, God is the ruler. God is the ruler of the Christian home. But let's focus first on a few phrases that could make you think that the husband is the master. I hope none of you husbands are, are hoping that your wives will start calling you Lord at the end of this message. 
You'll be disappointed. You'll be disappointed. Let's look at it. So the passage says, wives submit in verse 1. A wife calls a husband Lord in verse 6. Wives are called the weaker partner in verse 7. Those are things we could trip over in 2024. But before you storm out, deciding that the apostle Peter is a chauvinist, Let's remember that the Bible, even though it has unmatched power and unmatched meaning for us in 2024, we're not the original audience of this letter. Peter was writing under the inspiration of God, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to a legit patriarchal society culture shortly after Jesus rose from the dead. Like we talk about patriarchal society today, other, whole other world 2,000 years ago. When we understand how the original readers would have heard these words, we see how beautifully the Bible honors both men and women and how God is the ultimate authority in a Christian marriage. Take weaker partner in verse 7. In that culture, in that culture women were barely more than property. It's true. They didn't have many, if any, rights. Famously, uh, the testimony of a woman was not admissible in court. Like if there was a dispute between a man and a woman, you only heard from the man. Uh, women were vulnerable in a way that we truly can't fathom today. The, the vulnerability of, of a woman. And what Peter is saying is that women have less physical strength than men in, in general. And because of that... Historically, been more vulnerable than men and that husbands should care for their wives as partners we'll see and honor their wives because of that vulnerability that was unheard of unheard of that's like radical now maybe you're thinking I'm stronger than my husband that's fine good good for you that is the exception uh, <laughs> I'm some pointing one little example, you know the, the, the Olympic weightlifting event, the clean and jerk, that's where you pull it to your knees and then pop it over your head, okay? Um, maybe I could do 200 pounds and I actually pretend to lift weights sometimes. <laughs> the, the Olympic record for a man is 589 pounds. The Olympic record for a woman is 500, or 412 pounds. 412 to 589. Um, that's not 30 pounds more. That's 30% more. 31% more. That's one example. One example of how wives, generally speaking, aren't as strong as husbands. Making them more vulnerable. And in the past, many cultures have taken advantage of the vulnerability of women. And the Bible teaches, the Bible comes into that and says, no, you're to honor your wives in spite of the fact that your strength could lead you to dishonor your wife, as happens so often in Peter's culture. Then Peter goes so far as to call husbands and wives co-heirs of grace. That's impossibly beautiful today in that day they would not have had a category like this was a new category co-heirs of grace that's a wild assertion in the year 2000 or year 50 sorry the 80 80 50 or roughly thereabouts now consider the fact that sarah called abraham lord 
Again, this is a cultural thing. Peter is basically saying that Sarah followed her husband's leadership as God designed it to be. Not that she declared Abraham to be her king like we think of when we hear the word Lord. In that cultural context, it would have been more like the word husband. Like, in fact, a lot of English translations use the word husband instead of Lord. But I just don't want you to trip over that. One more note to make sure that you don't read this text and think that the Bible is setting men up to be chauvinistic rulers of their home. Check this out. Even when the Bible tells wives to be submissive, which it does in verse 1, and we'll come back to it. It does so while adding an additional note to the wives with unbelieving husbands. Didn't you see that? If your husband doesn't believe, live honorably, live gently, follow the word of the Lord before them so that they might be one. It's a lot like what we talked about in the last chapter. Like live honorably in the eyes of others. Peter wanted Christian wives to live in such a way that would make their non-Christian husbands want Jesus. But this would have been shocking in that culture. Because in that culture, uh, women didn't even get to choose their religion. Like the, the fact that Peter is addressing the female spouse and saying, follow God's word honorably in front of your husband, isn't how it worked. The religion of the man was the religion of the home. But Peter told wives to obey the word, to live pure lives before the Lord. So Peter's letter would have communicated to the original audience that the kingdom of heaven gave more freedom than any of the kingdoms of their culture, okay? I just didn't want those phrases, get them out of the way now, if they don't help you see the bigger picture that this text is saying that ultimately it's God, not the man or the woman who is in control of a Christian marriage. So let's read some of the verses again with a few highlighted words. Verse 1, in the same way, wives, submit yourself to your own husbands so that even if some disobey the word. Verse 4, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Oh, there he is again. Verse 7, husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. As with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. In the, in the Christian family, God is the ruler. Peter said, some will disobey the word. That reminds us that it's God's word, not man's word, that's the ultimate guide for our lives. It's his word, not man's word, that we ultimately need to obey. Peter also speaks of a woman's great worth in God's sight. Helping us remember that it's God who we are really living for. It's God's approval that we need most, not our spouses. He said, so that your prayers will be hindered. Reminding us that there is a God above us. There is a God above all things. And he is the one whose direction we ultimately need and are looking for. So we need to understand who's really in charge of the family. That's the point. Who's really in charge of the family? We can read those verses and easily focus on the wrong two words, wives submit. And it does say that. It says that. From the very beginning, God created the family, designed the members of the family. God made men and women equivalent in value, but different in roles. We, 
We all have the same value. We don't all have the same roles. So in Genesis, when God created the first family, he planned for the man to lead the home and for women to follow that leadership. But in understanding how the Christian marriage is supposed to function, the words wives submit in verse 1 is not as important as words like co-heirs of grace in verse 7 or in God's sight in verse 4. Or hope in God in verse 5. Peter is talking to the Christian spouse about God's hope, God's sight, God's word, God's grace. He tells wives to submit to husbands and husbands to honor their wives. But there is someone ruling above both the husband and the wife because the passage keeps talking about God. And anywhere God is, God rules. So if we want to have hopeful homes, we need to understand that husbands don't just belong to wives and wives don't just belong to husbands, but both husbands and wives belong to God. God is the true ruler of the Christian. He's the one giving the commands here. Please feel free to to disagree, but one of my favorite movies of all time is Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves from 1991. (laughs) golden age in that movie kevin costner plays the english hero robin hood with a full american accent and he's so awesome it doesn't matter this was like my most watched movie when i was like 10 or 11 years old just on repeat flaming arrows let's go and I watched it again a few years ago, and I'll be honest, the, the end, I hadn't seen it in decades, and the ending still gave me goosebumps. There's all this conflict in this, in this story from power-hungry people. And at the end, if you remember how the movie ends, King Richard the Lionheart, Sean Connery, the true ruler, shows up, and everyone is immediately breathless, and they fall down on their knees in submission You spend two hours watching bloody battles because someone was fighting to be the king. There already was a king. Why are we fighting? We have King Lionheart. And the Christian marriage is a lot like that. We can spend hours or weeks or even years fighting over who will rule in our home when that job is already taken. In the Christian home, Jesus is the king. And understanding that automatically takes care of all of the most important decisions in the home. Did you notice, this is not always true, but in this text I think it's fascinating that it doesn't explicitly tell the husbands to lead. It does in other places. And it's it's implied in the wife's submission, of course. But husbands are told to be the honorer, not the king. The command is to honor, to protect in a sense. The role of king is very competently filled by God himself. And that means, wives, your yielding is first a yielding to Jesus before it's a yielding to your husband. Husbands, your leadership is first a yielding to Jesus' leadership. Guys in the room, maybe you're not even a great leader. Who cares? 
It's not like God thought only good leaders would get married. If your home is a Christian home, then your family already has the best leader who has ever lived. Your job is to shepherd your family toward hope, toward life, by following the Lordship of Jesus. You got one already. See, do what he says and see how awesome it is. Wives, see, your, see following your husband ultimately as following Christ. Christian spouses, we make God, we make his word the ruler of our heart, the ruler of our home, and we see that his ways are the ways of hope. So in the Christian family, God is the ruler. He's the one we follow. Number two, in the Christian family, God is the reward. It's the ruler and the reward. Let's pick up on some themes on this as well. God, not our spouse, is our reward. In verse 5, Peter wrote, For in the past, holy women who put their hope in God. Verse 7 again, Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. So if we want a hopeful home, yes, let God's will, let God's word be what rules us. God is the true leader of a Christian home. We can agree on that together as families, but God is also the true reward of the Christian spouse. 1 Peter 3 is telling us that we may live every day with someone we love, but our hope is still in God. Not, the hope's not in the person sitting next to you right now or that you hope will sit next to you someday. We may talk to our spouse every day, but it's our communication with God that we most want to keep unhindered. 1 Peter is saying that we are, uh, we're co-signers on loans and we are cohabitators in houses and we are co-parents with kids and on and on but more importantly most importantly we are co-heirs of the grace of life and literally nothing is as good as that let me read you a few verses from Hebrews 6 about being co-heirs with God and think about how this might impact your marriage this is what God's word said because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise, he guaranteed it with an oath so that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Jesus has entered there on our behalf as a four runner because he has become a high priest forever we have this hope as an anchor for our soul and when we read that we are co-heirs of grace we remember that the only reason we can have hope in any context not just our marriage is because Jesus went to the cross to make a way not just for us to have friendship with our spouse but for us to have friendship with the God of the universe Jesus lets us behind the curtain to the actual one who can satisfy us that the one we were made for that isn't our husband or wife it's the God of the universe Jesus died on the cross for us to become our 
priest forever, not just to save us from broken marriages, but to save broken people from death. We are in Jesus, co-heirs of the grace of life, because Jesus died in our place on the cross. Here's what that means for a Christian marriage. It means Jesus literally already died your husband's death on the cross. Jesus paid for your wife's sins already on the cross. You're going to fight with your spouse probably this week. And if you're not married yet, you've got a lot of fighting coming probably. <laughs> Jesus Christ prepaid every single one of those sins. Jesus secured your happiness your hope, your life itself on Calvary. And now he says to your marriage, you are co-heirs of my unimaginable grace. And understanding that changes everything about how you see yourself, how you see everyone around you, including your spouse. The best thing you can do in a fight with your spouse is, even if it's about a bunny ballet recital, is to see Christ on the cross. This was, I don't, my kids will tell you, I don't get this one 100%, but this was life-changing. Because watch what happens when the cross enters your argument. Because you're co-heirs with grace through the sacrifice of Jesus. That's not just your wife anymore. That's your sister in Jesus and the daughter of the God of the universe. He, the God of the universe literally died for her, for him. Try it. Jesus thought she was worth dying for. How could she not be worth caring for? If you can see Christ on the cross in your conflict, it takes the sting out of it. Because it changes the perspective of the fighters. I taught this idea to Scarlett years ago, and now she is better at this than me, as in so many things. But when in a fight, she often says, I think she said this to me yesterday. She says, I love your baby little soul. That's her way of saying that I know how you're acting right now, but I also know who you really are deep down under your worstness because of Jesus. We're co-heirs of the grace of Christ. Be a kinder co-heir. I can't, I can't keep fighting with my wife when I, when I remember the gospel. I've been forgiven of pride and greed and selfishness, and on and on. Jesus died for that. That changes how I see myself. I have been forgiven at great cost. And my wife, Jesus died so that my wife could have life and life in abundance. She, your spouse is going to live forever. Your Christian spouse is going to live forever as the daughter or son of the king of the universe. Try arguing with the daughter of the king of the universe. 
perfectly righteous daughter of the king of the universe, why do you keep moving my mouthwash to a different place on the sink? <laughs> Ever went to the ballet recital, by the way. <laughs> but that's how the gospel works. <laughs> Wives, don't submit to your husband because of the strength of your husband. Submit because you are melted by the beauty of Jesus' submission for you. If Jesus can submit, you can submit. Husbands, don't honor your wife simply out of duty. Honor because at great, great cost... You were honored on the cross through the sacrifice of Jesus. Peter's language here, hope in God, pray to God, co-heirs with grace, is compelling us to remember that in Jesus we have hope and grace and love and friendship and help and glory and peace and on and on, etc. forever. That means that in Jesus we already have the thing we most hope we can get out of our marriage anyway. Right? And that's really important, yes. Because let's be honest, not all husbands are going to lead towards Jesus all the time. Sometimes we fail. Not all wives are going to submit to their husbands very well. All married people are imperfect people. That's why it's so beautiful that what is so beautiful to realize that everything you wish you could have in your marriage what you wish you could, it could do to your heart has already been done to your heart through Jesus. Our families don't have to give us what Jesus has already given us. That's why somebody can, for, by the way, that's why somebody can stay single and still be satisfied. If Jesus is already the reward of our souls, the hope of our souls, the friendship that matters most for our souls, our families don't have to try to fill those roles. If we know that we have the love of the Father of Heaven, we don't have to worry about our husbands making us feel loved enough. If we have the glory of God Himself within us, we don't have to have the perfect uh, approval of a wife. If we already have the peace from the sacrifice of Jesus, we don't have to hope our spouse can make us feel peaceful. Give me the peace, spouse. Right? Two years ago, a member of my wife's family, her, her uncle died by suicide. Um, she was a child of divorce at a very, very young age, so he was a father figure for her, and it was just devastating. It was a day we'll never forget. Um, she got a phone call around the middle of the day, and she just sobbed and sobbed. Her mom called her. They were, happened to be on speakerphone. And for 15 minutes, they were both just in anguish. Now, nobody, was, nobody could speak. It was just, for weeks, it felt like Scarlett mostly cried. And there was nothing I could do to fix it, you know? 
Can you imagine what that moment, that season would have been like if I was Scarlet's true ruler instead of Jesus? Or if I was Scarlet's reward instead of Jesus? She could have said, how could you let this happen, Brandon? I thought you're supposed to be in charge around here. She could have said, why aren't you making me happier, Brandon? I thought you were supposed to complete me. But of course she didn't say those things because I'm not those things. Scarlet has a far better ruler than me, a far better reward than me. She didn't ask me to be something I couldn't be or to fix something I couldn't fix or to fill in something that I couldn't fix, fill in. My role was to try to lead her to our leader. We asked God for peace that passes understanding. We asked God for more comfort that we could even give one another anyway. We asked God to lead through the tragedy, to bring people to himself. We asked God for hope in him that we could never give or find. Your spouse is not the ruler. He may be the sub-ruler, but there's a true one. Your spouse is not the reward. He or she may be an, a, a reward. But women, your husband can make a wise leader, but he's a weak hope. He's a weak lord. He's a weak king. Your marriage, guys, your marriage might make a good home. It's a weak hope. There is a hope higher than your husband. There is an approval better than your spouse. There is a grace greater than your husband or wife. In the Christian marriage, wives submit and husbands honor. But Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and who is also at the right hand of God the Father interceding for us right now. That's what a hope-filled marriage sounds like. Two people who know Jesus is the best Lord they could ever follow and the best joy they could ever experience. That's what I want for me and Scarlett. That's what I want for every marriage in our church. That's what I want for the future. Remember, we got some... We've got some kids here that don't want to get married. And someday they will. And we want to pray that this is what they want. Here's, here's what I want us to do. Um, both of our elders are out this week. Um, Kevin is leading a marriage retreat. And Ken is quite sick. Um, so uh, rather than invite you forward, uh, what I want us to do is I want, uh, I want to ask the married couples in the room to stand. And anybody who's like a teenager or an adult who hopes to, to have a spouse someday, I want everybody to stand right now. And if that's not you, if you're just, if you are, if you're an adult who's not hoping for another spouse, <laughs> or if you are uh, a child, and here's what I want, I want us to, I want all of us, whether you're seated or standing, I want us to pray for these, for these two things for one another. So if, if there's a couple or, or a single individual near you, you can either put a hand on them or just extend a hand towards them. But I want, to, I want us to pray for one of them. Can you come up and stand when I feel alone? Um, <laughs> um, um, let's pray that God will be. Pray for one another. Pray for the couple 
or the single person nearest you, that God will be their ruler and that God will be their reward and that he will, he will give us hope-filled marriages. So I'm gonna take a, let's take a moment and just, just pray silently for those around you and then I will pray for us together. Let's pray now. Father, I thank you for the marriages in this room. I thank you for the future marriages that are represented in this room. We didn't talk about this today, but each one of them is intended to be a picture of the gospel, of your love and sacrifice for us. So I pray that you would help us to honor that. And to do that, I pray that you would teach us, each husband, each wife, each future husband, each future wife, that you are the true Lord and King of our lives. That you have already said, this is the way, walk in it. And I pray that you'd help us to do that. Please, please help us to be uh, submissive to you. And God, I pray that we would more and more learn to see you as our true reward. God, I pray that we would not ask our spouses to fill in any gaps that are made for you. God, I pray that you'd help us to see our, our spouses or our future spouses as the son and daughter of the Most High, co-heirs of the grace of life, rescued and bought by the blood of Jesus, made in God's image and infinitely valuable. God, I pray that you would make a people of love, make us a people of comfort, make us a people of grace, make us a people marked by living hope. In our marriages and in everywhere that we go as we represent you, our King. We thank you and we love you and we ask that as you continue to love us that you would help us to love you more. In the name of Christ, amen.